Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, friends. Day after the final debate, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to be here with you. And I got to tell you, things are a little bit more tranquil than I think any of us would have expected at this phase of this political race. Maybe the left really did exhaust itself a little bit this summer with the riots and the mayhem and the looting and the arson and all the stuff that they were doing, right? Maybe they got that out of their systems. And, you know, I'm just going to say it. It's not as fun to break into a, a shoe store or go steal some designer clothing in the name of social justice when it's dropping down into the 50s and then into the 40s. You know, when it gets cold outside, marching in the street, you know, you need the marchers there to make it seem like a mostly peaceful protest. Marchers don't want to be cold. They, they like it when it's 75 with a, with a, you know, a gentle breeze. That's when you really want to do the social justice stuff. You don't want to do it when you got to all of a sudden start thinking about wearing some mittens. So they maybe got a little bit uh, ahead of themselves, used a little bit more of their energy then. But I also have a new a new theory about this, which is that they realize the Democrats have the word has gotten out. And you saw this with the ACB hearings. You saw this uh, with the way they've been responding to Trump recently. They can't act like total psychopaths right now. I mean, they can suppress. They can lie. They can do all the things they're doing, clearly, in the media in particular. But the really the, the visceral, obvious, viral video Biden supporters acting like barbarians, that stuff is not a good look in a general election. One thing to get the base all fired up in the election year, but it's not a good look for people who actually want to win uh, those independent voters and that that small slice of the pie that's going to determine who's the president for the next four years. So my theory is this. They're lying in wait right now a little bit. They're being a little bit more uh, coy than perhaps we had anticipated. Uh, but if Trump wins this election and there's already some early indicators, this is the case, then the insanity gets dialed all the way back up to 11. Then the insanity is unleashed. That's been building up right now because there are still all the left wing crazies out there. They're just lying in wait. They've been told by the people who write the paychecks for the placards and the U-Hauls that deliver the social justice materials and anti-cop weaponry. Uh, that shows up at these protests, they've been told, hey, guys, we got to fool enough well-intentioned people in a handful of battleground states so that we can be in power and then you can run wild and no one's going to stop you. But for right now, cool it. Calm down. I think that's what we're seeing because ACB hearings, pretty quiet. Uh, what we've seen in response to Trump lately on the streets, at least I'm talking about the activism. I'm talking about the really extreme actions that the left was taking all summer. I mean, from May, June, July, August, this country was in the grip of a left wing terror. And then suddenly in September, it started to fade out. And then we get into October and all of a sudden, like I said, it's colder. But they've realized they're not helping their buddy Joe Biden. There's only so much he can do to hide the actions of his base if they're going wild right before people are casting. And as we know, tens of millions have already voted. 
So that brings me then to the actual debate last night. And I want to focus on the parts of it that I think are the most important for all of us between now and the actual election. Um, yes, Trump won. And I appreciated that when I said Trump won on Twitter, the president retweeted it. So then, of course, my timeline on Twitter was full of all kinds of, of madness. But the president agrees with me that I agree with others that he did win that debate. And this was more of the Trump that I had expected to show up at the, the, the first time around. He was completely calm, cool, and collected. He was in control of the facts. He was, in his, in his way, in a Trumpian way, very presidential. Uh, he was a guy that you feel like in the boardroom, if you had a dozen people gathered together in some fancy corporate office having a big meeting, he's the guy that everybody's going to be looking to and listening to. That's his demeanor. That, that's his, and that's who he is. Biden was just kind of a, a, a feeble mess. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was reasonably coherent with the usual talking points. There was uh, nothing particularly compelling about any of the stuff that he said. We had really heard it all before. Uh, but seeing these two candidates on stage, Trump just has much greater magnetism, charisma, vitality. It's just not comparable. And if we weren't having this election, and, and this was what really just ran through my mind last night as I was watching it live, if we weren't having this election in a bizarre year of COVID, Trump would win every state he won in 2016, plus three or four additional states. Definitely would, would pick up uh, New Hampshire. You know, Trump would win. I, I think he'd have a shot at, at Minnesota. He would win states that he didn't win the last time. But because of COVID and what the country's going through, I've been correct. I think we'll see. But my assessment all along is this is going to be a very tight race. And yes, the Electoral College, no one can really guess exactly how that's going to shake out. But we know that it's going to be a small number of votes in a small number of states that determine this thing. All the polls, all the numbers show us that. So this is going to be a fight to the finish. Was what Trump did last night on stage enough to move the needle? The truth is no one will really ever know. He did not get a knockout blow against Biden. There was no moment you watched that and you said, oh, you know, Biden's finished. And given what's happened with the Hunter Biden revelations this week, I do think there was that possibility. I think that there was a realistic chance that Biden was going to get so tripped up and it was going to be such a mess up there that it would have cost him in the general in a way that we could really we could trace. We could go from point A to point B. Didn't happen. In fact, one of the biggest uh, surprises last night was that there was not a single moment of real um, of real challenge to Biden on the Hunter Biden stuff to Joe Biden on the Hunter Biden stuff. He managed to skate past it. Now, I don't want to spend much time talking about the moderator. If you read my Twitter timeline, you'll see how I feel. I thought she was fine. She was fine for 15 minutes. And then for the next 15 minutes, it started to get a little bit. Wait, why are you only interrupting Trump? And she really did only interrupt Trump. I think there were two or three interruptions of Biden answers the whole night. And then and then she asked some questions that I found really distasteful and biased, like I forget the, what exactly the verbiage was. But, you know, hey, Trump, you're a racist, right? So why are you a racist or why are you not one? Um, and then the climate change question, which I'll get to that in a bit. This is just journos have to do this to prove how smart and serious they are. They have to ask about climate change, which. If you even look at the, the polling year in and year out, it's like the 20th most important issue 
to the American people overall when they when they list out all these issues. I mean, it's it's really, uh, you know, a, a minor it starts to get up there with like the eliminating the carried interest loophole or something. I mean, yeah, some people care. But anyway, so there was no knockout blow against Biden. There was one moment where I think he created a real vulnerability for himself. And that has to do with oil. And we'll get to that. But I, I just I saw last night as an opportunity for people to get one more glimpse of really what we already know about these two guys, who they are. Donald Trump is not a politician. Sometimes he can be a little bit unpredictable, to put it mildly. And he has his own way of doing things. But the guy is is a fierce fighter. He's got a tremendous amount of of uh, leadership quality and a tremendous amount of magnetism, uh, you know, personal charisma. And he's done a good job for four years. They can say that he's been awful on COVID all they want, but those are just talking points. He's done a good job. Joe Biden is essentially the classic, I mean, the quintessential, completely replaceable and, uh, you know, duplicative Democrat politician. Joe Biden reminds me of a whole bunch of other guys. I mean, you know, you could you could switch out Joe Biden with Senator Murphy from Connecticut or, you know, Blumenthal I mean, two Connecticut guys up there. You know, you switch out Joe Biden with any number of, you know, but the only difference is Biden's been in the game much, much longer. But just another Democrat, nothing special, nothing powerful and has that whole old school, you know, hey, you know, I'm just I'm just your friend sitting at your kitchen table and. I'm from Delaware, and sometimes my my voice starts to almost get a little folksy, like I'm maybe from the South, but I'm I'm really from Delaware, man. Hey, man, you know, and I kind of throw in these phrases to make it seem like I'm just one of the people. And, you know, it's it's also staged and phony and it's worked for this guy, though, for a long time. There's a reason why cliches are cliches. It's because people use them because they often work and they're useful. Uh, but that's what you got last night with Joe Biden. I mean, there's nothing. There's no vision. There's no there's no reason to vote for Joe Biden other than he's a Democrat who is not Donald Trump. So that's it. I mean, that was the choice you saw on stage last night. Now let's dive into who threw a punch where on what, how much it matters. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Look, all he does is talk about shutdowns, but forget about him. His Democrat governors, Cuomo in New York, you look at what's going on in California, you look at Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Democrats, Democrats all, they're shut down so tight and they're dying. They're dying. And he supports all these people. All he talks about is shutdowns. No, we're not going to shut down and we have to open our schools. We do have to open our schools. Trump's right about that. The science backs him up on that. Democrats have allowed schools to remain shut down, have have made sure, have demanded that schools stay shut down because they think it's in their political interest. But I think this is one of the strongest areas for Trump last night. And as you know, I'm I don't care when, when anybody with a poll say or anything else shutdowns and the restoration of normal life from this covid new normal they're trying to enforce on us of being scared of each other separate from each other masking up all the time this is the most important issue in the country right now bar none 
And Biden tried the usual last night of blaming Trump for everything that's happened during COVID. He tried the usual, oh, 200,000 deaths are Trump's responsibility. How many deaths would there be if Joe Biden was in charge? And what would be acceptable? This issue has just been so ripe for demagoguery all along, and Democrats have exploited it at, at every opportunity. That has been their approach, which I know is completely unsurprising, but we should at least see this for what it is. The president listened to the experts. He did what they wanted him to do at every phase. And he's now allowed the states to deal with this in a state by state fashion, which is in keeping with common sense and with the law. Mind you, a lot of places are using what are effectively police powers uh, to create a They've got a state of emergency and they're using police powers under the state of emergency to, uh, to quarantine an entire population at different levels. It's kind of a few layers all, all coming together. That's not something the federal government should do. Think about what the Democrats are really arguing for here. Why should Montana, where I was uh, for a bit this summer in August, why should Montana have the same policies about COVID that New York City has? That makes no sense whatsoever. But then again, you take this a little bit further and you say, why should 25 year olds have the same approach to COVID as 75 year olds? That also makes no sense. And people say, oh, but the 25 year olds give it to the 70. No, you know, if you're going to be in contact, it is, in fact, entirely possible for people to live much of their life without being in direct, sustained contact with people who are at high risk. That is very possible. But Trump made his case on this last night, and it was what we needed to hear. He said, this is what I've done. This is where we're going. We got vaccines coming. We're putting out the fires one by one as they come up with the increase in cases. Now, I'm going to continue to make this argument, but, you know, New York has still very low cases. And the only thing that makes sense to me, and it doesn't mean we're not going to have any more cases. Of course, we have cases day in and day out, but we're not going to see a huge spike because it burned through the city so quickly and so viciously that there's a lot of built up immunity and that the most susceptible people to covid, many of them, a large number of them already got it and many of them tragically already died from it. So I don't think it's going to happen. And, you know, and, and we're going to test this out. They're going to say it's because of masking. We masked during the shutdown in March and April, and the virus was still ripping through the city, ripping through the tri, uh, tri-state area here. So we'll test that out. I'll, I'll return to that. What does Biden, what does he say? I mean, he keeps talking about how Trump is somehow responsible for the virus and for the shutdowns, and Biden's saying he's going to make things better but he's going to make things better by shutting us down. So it doesn't make any sense. There's there's an incoherence to the Democrat position on all of this. And really, all they have to say is mask, mask, mask. And I remember when just a few months ago, all they had to say was testing, testing, testing. Remember that with Nancy Pelosi? Test, testing. You got to test, test and trace. And a lot of us said, well, hold on. When a virus has gotten to this level of spread already in society, you, you know, you're not going to be able to trace it at all. And when you're testing a lot, you're just going to end up finding a lot of low level unimportant cases because you're not just testing people to go to the hospital. Now you're going to test all over the place. Somebody has a sniffle. Oh, I got to go to the corner and get a covid test. Remember when testing was supposed to be the thing that saved us from this? Now we test all the time. Now it's masks. It was washing hands in the beginning. You remember that? That There was a time, I have not forgotten, 
when the exhortations for the public to wash their hands were the single loudest thing that was being said by Fauci and the gang in the early days. They believe that that was really how we were getting it. It wasn't even airborne or aerosolized the way that we have now come to believe it is. Biden wants you masking up all the time. Play 12. 220,000 Americans dead. You hear nothing else I say tonight. Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control. In fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. We're in a situation where there are a thousand deaths a day now. A thousand deaths a day. And there are over 70,000 new cases per day. Compared to what's going on in Europe, as the New England Medical Journal said, they're starting from a very low rate. We're starting from a very high rate. The expectation is we'll have another 200,000 Americans dead between now and the end of the year. If we just wore these masks, the president's own advisors have told him, we could save 100,000 lives. And we're in a circumstance where the president thus far and still has no plan, no comprehensive plan. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. That's their plan. Yell at everybody to wear masks, mask shaming. They think that will stop this. This is delusional. The data does not support this. Even if masking works at some level, and I'm sure it does help at some level for sure. I mean, I I believe that it does. But to stop this? No. I mean, who knows? 10%, 20% reduction in cases over a period of over a period of time, but it's not even clear that that reduction protects those, you know, that, that those people don't get infected just outside the time frame you're looking at for the study. You're, you're essentially delaying the spread of a virus that is spreading all throughout the population. But mask up all the time. That's the Biden plan. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Healthcare is the area where Democrats think they have the biggest advantage over Republicans. In fact, I've spoken to Democrats, including people who are campaign consultants and other folks I know from inside the swampy beltway in D.C., and they will tell you that it was largely health care, they believe, and public perception about health care that led them to a pretty substantial victory in the midterm elections for the House. That was the favorite the, the favorite issue for those consultants to get Democrats elected. And part of the issue that we have to keep dealing with here is that Democrats have two things going for them, fear and short term versus long term when it comes to health care. Fear, of course, that everyone uh, is going to be thrown out. You know, everyone's going to get preexisting conditions and that they won't have coverage if they don't have Obamacare. The world's falling apart. This is all nonsense. Does anyone really feel like the country's markedly different since the passage of Obamacare when it comes to health care? you got more people on Medicaid, a lot more, millions more. Okay, fine. That's a welfare program. And you have an individual market with a lot of high deductible, pretty small network, crappy health care plans. And that's it. And an individual mandate that's supposed to financially buttress this whole thing. But that's now been taken away by the Trump administration. No, I understand this is not. You know, we'll talk about the Borat movie and Giuliani and stuff later to get a little more spice into the show, because I know this this can feel a little bit like schoolroom stuff, but this matters matters to you matters to me. I mean, producer Mark and I are about to be choosing our health care plans here coming up. I'm sure other people are in that. Uh, what do they call it when you're doing the you're choosing the health care? 
the period. Open you know enrollment. I mean? Thank you. Thank you. Open enrollment. You know, we're going to open enrollment. And you look at these plans, and somehow it feels like every year, plan gets more expensive, healthcare options get worse. And I don't mean that for any particular company. I just mean every year, though, those are the mandates that you see with Obamacare. Those are the mandates you see from the government, right? It's somehow healthcare keeps getting more expensive, and your access to healthcare is in many ways getting worse. Why is that going on? Well, it's because when, when Joe Biden talks about the market, he doesn't really understand what a real market is. A market is individuals making choices based upon price, right? That's how market actually works. You provide services and people consume services, and it's the free exchange thereof with price as the signal for what they want to do, what they don't want to do. We like to try to pretend that there should be no price in any of this, that you just get whatever you get. But that fails. And when I say we, I mean the Democrats and the people that are pushing this. That fails to take into account that it is, in fact, the case that health care is a limited good. Now, that doesn't mean we can't provide some form of health care from everyone. We obviously have emergency rooms where you must treat people no matter what. And, but not everybody's going to get to see the most uh, you know, reputable heart surgeon in the world. That's just there's just not enough. Not everyone's going to get to see the, you know, the top LASIK uh, eye surgery doctor or whatever just not going to happen right there are market forces at work in this and what the government keeps doing is saying let's just subsidize things more let's make more decisions for people and then subsidize it more with taxpayer dollars that's not a market that's the government that's central planning this is the central failure of socialism at work so that's what they are doing and when they talk about setting up a public option that will essentially turn into medicaid on steroids right why isn't Medicaid sufficient right now? Why isn't everyone saying, well, you know, it's well, you have to only make a certain income to qualify for Medicaid. But the people on Medicaid generally don't have very good health outcomes. Why is that? Well, because for the program to even be a little bit solvent and it's the main drag on state budgets in places like New York and New Jersey and, and Illinois, Medicaid, public sector pensions. That's why people's property taxes keep going up. Those are the drags on state budgets. Medicaid, I think, in the case of New York, is by far the biggest one. All right, well, then why? Medicaid is very expensive to the state, to the taxpayer, but doesn't have very good outcomes. Why is that? Well, because they, even at the level that they're currently providing Medicaid services, they have a lot of doctors that won't take it. And in fact, Medicare doesn't even, I know people love Medicare who have it, and it's a very popular program, but it's because what it effectively does is it's a, intergenerational subsidy where the future generations have to pay a tab currently being run up by people getting Medicare. I know people don't like to hear that, but that's true. That's why you pay you take out twice what the average person, I should say, takes out of Medicare twice what they pay into it. It's also why we have now a twenty five trillion dollar debt. I mean, I'm sure with it. I got to check what the what the debt is right now. Uh, But you see, all of these are just ways of moving around money that comes from the taxpayer and not actually dealing with the real challenge here, the real issue, which is that unless you have real competition, oh, I'm sorry, $27 trillion. That's right. We've got the three tri- $3 trillion extra this year. It has to be factored into the spending. $82,000 per U.S. citizen right now. $217,000 per taxpayer. That's where we are. The music's going to stop and there aren't going to be enough chairs, but 
uh, we'll have that conversation another day. No one really cares to hear that stuff anymore. So we'll just we'll just wait till the currency is worthless. Hey, then we'll figure it out. Good, good stuff. So. The public option will create just like Obamacare was the beginning of the push for Medicare for all. The public option becomes a push for single payer because you'll see people will say, OK, why wouldn't everybody just want to take the public option health care plan? Well, because there are going to be all kinds of restrictions on it. Otherwise, it's very, very expensive. Right. So they're going to put all these restrictions, which means that you're not going to have great doctor networks and people aren't really going to like the plan. It's not going to cover that much. And remember, health insurance isn't really insurance as we have it. It's subsidies. It's all these cross subsidies. You don't have a health insurance so that if you have a heart attack and you have to have a stent put in all this stuff, you know, you don't get a three hundred thousand dollar bill. That's part of it. But for most people, health insurance is OK. I'm going to go to, uh, you know, I'm going to go to my ENT doc and I want to pay twenty dollars or I want to pay fifty dollar copay and that's it. OK, well, the doc is charging your health insurer three, four five hundred bucks. Right? So these are all just machines for redistributing money to people. And there's a lot of politics involved in all this. You create a public option. And what happens is that the public option, uh, people get put onto it. And then there's all this political pressure uh, for the public option to get more and more subsidies so that the plan can be better and better for the people who are on it. And eventually you'll just start to say, OK, well, why should a why should a uh, private insurer or rather, why should a private business insure its employees? Just go to, just go get the public option. And the public option is not that good. But now you have more and more people on it. So what do they do? They use their power at the ballot box to start saying, yeah, but we're going to take more of your money to make this a better option for us. Then private insurers start to say, we can't compete with this. This is crazy. And yes, then you get to single payer. And that's how it works. The same way we told you. That Obamacare was going to be a stepping stone to Medicare for all, which we all know now is true. Oh, and that they were planning all along on giving Obamacare to illegal aliens. Remember at the, on the debate stage during the Democrat primary, all those hands went up. Turned out we were right about that. I'm telling you right now, a public option. It is feasible to work at a public option where this wouldn't be the case. But why would Democrats want to do that? Because that would require telling people who have the public option. Sorry, this is the best you can get right. And this is the best you're going to get. This is the best we can do while being fiscally responsible. Democrats aren't going to say that. They're going to say, oh, you're right. We got, we got to cover everything. We got to cover your yoga lessons, too. So let's just jack up property taxes on people. It's the way it's going to work, folks. Then there's immigration. Uh, and this was interesting as well because it showed, one, that Joe Biden continues to repeat the original lies around the asylum at the border issue. Now, I, I went to the border multiple times, as you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, to spend time doing ride-alongs with Border Patrol, meeting with CBP, talking to people at the top level. We've had, we've had ICE and CBP and DHS chiefs on this show many times. It's a really important issue, and it's one that I find uh, critical to the future of the country. And, and I just also think it's intellectually and, and politically fascinating. And here's the short version, in case you've forgotten, the asylum waves that were hitting the country about two years, you know, a little over two years ago now, um, th that was largely based on a loophole that had to do with people claiming that they were fleeing violence when really they were just fleeing a country with a crappy economy where they didn't want to still be. And they realized that if they came with a child, then they would go into a different part of the system and would immediately be released in the United States. 
And what people like me were saying at the time was they're not going to show up for their hearings. And this became the big debate. And all the libs disingenuously, I think many of them kind of knew they were you know, laughing behind closed doors. They're saying this. Oh, no, they'll all show up for their hearings. Why? Why show up for a hearing when then you're running the risk of being denied asylum when you've already been released into the United States? And there's you're a very low, especially if you're a mother with a child, you're very low uh, deportation priority. So you're good. So it was just an open door for people to come into the country. And that's why you had, as I remember, Border Patrol told me a 34 year old pretending that he was 17 because it also was a different program for minors. So there were all these scams and the cartels were making hundreds of millions of dollars helping people with these scams. And they were doing this through uh, through individuals referred to as coyotes were the human traffickers in this whole process. And the different plazas, which is what the cartels call the areas along the southern border where they control and they break them up. And it's it's their turf. Right. That's they make the money for people to come to the border there. And uh, the cartels would use these coyotes. A lot of money going through people's hands. It was fascinating last night to see just how many dumbass blue checks think that coyote is a disparaging term for immigrants who are coming to the border. They were, and these are people, I mean, what's the guy who went to, uh, I think he's a Harvard student now, David Hogg, the, the guy who became the anti-gun activist. When, but he was 17, so you couldn't criticize him. And he would go around calling people blood-soaked terrorists. But if you said anything, then they need a boycott. You're attacking children. Notice how the libs love to do this. They did this with Greta Thunberg. Yeah, let's have a, a very odd 16-year-old lecturing us now she's 18 so game on right we can fight we can argue she's an adult right is that are those the rules or no we can you criticize people when they're 18 that to be 21 i just want to know they want people to be able to vote libs want to be people to be able to vote at 16 but i guess you can't criticize their politics until they're 18 24 28 i don't know you can be on your parents insurance until you're 26 with obamacare right so maybe that's the new rule i'm not sure of course, the rule changes depending on what Democrats need in the moment. But that guy, Hogg, uh, who's just uh, he, he had this whole thing about how coyotes was an e- e- a terrible thing to say about people bringing their children to the border. It's like the coyotes are the cartel employees doing the human trafficking. You utter morons. Blue checks all over the Internet last night. Coyote. Oh, my gosh. Coyote is like a it's like a racially disparaging term. To No, no, no. This is the term everybody uses for human traffickers, which is a criminal act. And these are the kind of human traffickers when they work for the cartels who, you know, they'll leave people in a really dangerous situation. They'll leave people to die out in the desert if they can't keep up. Right. I mean, that's what happens. It's not good people. The coyotes are bad guys. But just as when Trump calls MS-13 animals, you know, they say, oh, my gosh. You mean those gang members who, you know, rape and mutilate and murder people for sport? Trump called them animals. How dare he? The libs don't care. Whatever works for them, whatever works to uh, to attack the president in the moment. Um, But there was there was something worthwhile about this this uh, exchange on immigration last night, because Biden said path path to citizenship. It's amnesty, folks. He's telling you it's amnesty. This is the biggest single thing the Democrats are going to try to accomplish. It is the top priority for them. They want amnesty. Absolutely. They want amnesty for illegals in this country because that that's when we'll also find out, oh, my gosh, 
suddenly it'll be, oh, we had no idea. We said it was 11.7 million people in the country legally. Turns out it's more like 20 to 25. Oh, yeah. Get ready for that, too. Um, but they, oh, yeah, the, the government that, <laughs> the government that has the geniuses at the FBI who thought that Carter Page was a Russian spy and set up a FISA on him, that government really knows how many illegals have come into the country over the last 20 years, right? Sure. Sure they do. That's why they fight at every turn trying to, trying to count, uh, count the illegals properly. They, they don't want that to be known. You would think they would want it to be known, but no, they don't like that data to be kept. So amnesty is for real. And then there was the kids in cages line, which the Democrats love to bring this up. Well, Trump had something to say about that. Uh, play clip nine. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. They real tough. We're really strong. And guess what? They cannot. It's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents, and it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. Let me ask you a follow-up question. They did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to that? They did it. We, we changed. did not. They built the cages. The, they, who, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're talking about. Who built the cages, about. Joe? Let's talk about what we're talking about. What happened? Parents were ripped. Their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 sets of those parents and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. Who built the cages? If you want to know. The Obama administration built the cages. And they're really just fenced in areas. And I've seen those. I've been to those fenced in areas. I've seen those fenced in areas. And. They are also uh, temporary holding facilities where people usually would be processed within 24 hours. They were they are depressing. They are not nice. I'm not I'm not negating that in any way. But people tended to be in them for a day, maybe two. And then they were released into the interior of the United States after being processed by ICE. That's what was happening. The whole thing was a scam, by the way. These people were not fleeing violence. They were being trained by the coyotes who were bringing them to the border. Biden doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. But it doesn't matter. People just want to hear what they want to hear, especially Democrats. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Now let's dive into what really is going to matter from the debate, if anything. Not clear. I mean, you'll never really be able to know. People talk about moving the needle and knockout punches and all these. And look, it's impossible to avoid the cliches. I'm not going to lie to you. We People that do this. For a living and you analyze these things, you try to come up with new ways of saying it. But there's a reason why we end up sounding like each other a lot on this. There's only so much you can say about a debate in terms of the analogies and stuff. But here's what I think is going to matter. Uh, Pennsylvania is a state where fossil fuels, oil, fracking matters a lot. It's still a part of the industry there. And Pennsylvania is a critical state for whichever candidate's going to end up being president of the United States. And Biden's got a problem here because that's going to be a little bit like when Hillary Clinton went to West Virginia and she and she said, well, if you work in the coal industry, get a new job, something like that. It was something along those lines that she said. She basically told people that they were on their own. If you work in the coal industry, we're going to have to, you know, learn to code or train you in something else. That did not go over well for Hillary in West Virginia, as you may recall. 
or in the rest of the campaign, because then she tried to walk it back. And, you know, a moment of honesty that that would haunt her. And of course, any real moment of honesty haunts a Clinton. They hate that. It's like garlic for a vampire. But last night, Trump with Biden had this exchange about fracking and oil. Play 16. And, and what about fracking? All right, now, let me, now let me, have, have, let me allow fracking. Vice President I Biden to respond. I never said I oppose fracking. You said it I, on tape. I did show the tape. Put it on your website. I'll put it on. Put it on the website. Okay. Ask and ye shall receive, Joe Biden. Trump did, in fact, put it on the website. You, you want to hear whether, whether Joe Biden has a problem with fracking or not? He's like, yeah, let's see what you got, buddy. Give me your best shot. This is like the guy that says, give me your best shot. And then he gets knocked out cold in the bar from the guy who gives him his best shot. Play 17. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking in a Biden administration? No, we would we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel. No more, no new fracking. I'd gradually move away from fracking. And I think it's critically important on day one that we end any fossil fuel leases on public lands. Oh, well, like, what about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. the pipeline infrastructure? They want to do the same thing I want to do. They want to phase out fossil fuels, and we're going to phase out fossil fuels. There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. Now, it's, it's hard to really cover this without going very, very deep into the, the details. Um, but this is a this is a religious belief for the left. I mean, not just the climate change issue, which we'll get to, but specifically fracking. I mean, they really think that fracking is is evil. And in reality, fracking is the reason that the United States in many ways has been in such an, an a place of unparalleled energy and economic dominance for the last 10 or 15 years. It was hugely helpful to us after the financial downturn. And the technology has been around since the 1940s, right? You inject liquid, 99% water and sand, a tiny amount of lubricant chemicals into shale formations, right? That creates small fractures, which allows the extraction of oil or natural gas from the sites where the oil derrick and well had been removed. But, There's been an expanded utilization of this. You get more than 90 percent. Okay, listen to me on this one. Ninety percent of American oil and gas wells currently in use are hydraulically uh, hydraulically uh, fractured. And America is now a global energy superpower because of it. Now, this is so noteworthy in many ways because it reminds me of the discussion we're having now about experts and science. Remember all the talk about peak oil? We used to be told that we were going to reach peak oil, you know, in the right around now, actually. I mean, we were worried about peak oil stretching back for decades. And geopolitical strategists became obsessed with this in America. And we, in fact, even made national security decisions based upon our access to oil because we were so worried we were going to run out. But. That meant that we cared too much about Middle Eastern dictatorships and the whole Mideast region. Why did we find ourselves there? Because of the energy. Because of what it did to the global energy markets. What was Iran's big trump card, pardon the phrase, so to speak, 
uh, when we started to have more and more problems with, well, we've had problems with them since 1979, but when things started to ratchet up in recent years, it was always they could shut down the Straits of Hormuz, shut down the global energy uh, market. 25% of oil uh, goes through the Straits, uh, Straits of Hormuz, so that was going to be a big problem. Oil was over $100 a barrel, my friends, in 2011. Go back 10 years. This technology has been incredible, but people absolutely love on the left. They love to treat it like it's some kind of a monster and Biden can't get away with it. Biden can't bring himself to say, you know what? This whole anti oil thing that we've got is lunacy. The cheap price of energy and the frack, uh, the fracking that allows that to be the case and the domestic supply that we now have. Results in uh, cheaper, better, faster, everything in the economy around you. The room you are in is better climate controlled. The food that you are eating is more uh, efficiently grown and brought to you and stored. All of this because of fossil fuels. This obsession with solar and windmills is lunacy. But the Democrat Party is absolutely devoted to it, and they just don't care. In fact, Joe Biden starts out now. This is the thing you have to say. Climate change is an existential threat. It is absolutely not an existential threat, and it's a silly, embarrassing thing to say. But that's, that's now a, a thing that you must say to be a Democrat who's in good standing with his own side. You're not allowed to say anything else about it. In fact, they'll laugh at you. They'll think there's something wrong with you. And then that brings me to my problem with the question last night about not just a question about it, that the climate change in these debates is always a segment unto itself. It's always a section. We're going to have a, a part of the debate on climate change. Why? Why? This is this is dumb. This is dumb. And I know people. Oh, my gosh, you're such a. Yeah. Who wants to place bets? That's, I think, the only way that we can start to really. Uh, we can start to really see people stop this nonsense is if we created an exchange where you could place bets. The climate catastrophist can say what's going to happen. You know, so. So, for example, the movie An Inconvenient Truth, you look at Florida underwater by the year 2030. All right. I'll, I'll put I'll put, uh, you know, 10 grand right now on Florida's not going to be underwater in 10 years. Who wants to take that bet? Right. That would be. That would be the only way that you'd start to see people have to back off this nonsense where they were demonstrably wrong and suffer for being wrong, because what you have now is they're wrong every 10 years. But every 10 years, they change the prediction for the next 10 years. And that's what we're supposed to focus on. Oh, we didn't get it right the last time, but we'll get it right this time. And this this extends even to covid and to the covid lockdowns. You've got uh, you've got Trump pointing out that Fauci is a guy who we're supposed to listen to about everything. This guy's been wrong tons of times. This is from the debate last night. Play 11. This week, you called Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's best-known infectious disease expert, quote, a disaster. You described him and other medical experts as, quote, idiots. If you're not listening to them, who are you listening to? Let, let me, fight this? I'm listening to all of them, including Anthony. I get along very well with Anthony. But he did say, don't wear masks. He did say, as you know, this is not going to be a problem. Uh, I think he's a Democrat, but that's OK. He said this is not going to be a problem. We are not going to have a problem at all. When Joe says that I said 
Anthony Fauci said, and others, and many others, and I'm not knocking him a lot. Nobody knew. Look, nobody knew what this thing was. Nobody knew where it was coming from, what it was. We've learned a lot. But Anthony said, don't wear masks. Now he wants to wear masks. Anthony also said, if you look back, exact words, here's his exact words. This is no problem. This is going to go away soon. So he's allowed to make mistakes. He happens to be a good person. Why is it such a problem to point out that Fauci has been wrong many times during this? Isn't that just speaking truth? The guy's been wrong a lot. A lot of people have been wrong a lot. But here's the point. Fauci is given a dispensation from the lib media because he's a catastrophist and he just always gives you the most negative interpretation and doesn't care. You know, the the economic damage that's going on in the country, the ruined lives, the drug abuse. He's just, you know, that's not as bad. It's not as big a deal as this disease. Wear a mask, right? This is all we ever hear from this guy. And the libs like it because he's a useful he's a useful tool with which they can try to bludgeon the Trump campaign, which is what they've been doing. But he's been wrong and they they forgive him entirely. In fact, they forbid you from even addressing the fact that he has been wrong. Meanwhile, Trump, if he said back in March, look, I think it's going to fade out by the summer. or Look, I think we're going to beat this thing soon or whatever Trumpian thing he said. He's a mass murderer because of that. So Fauci, who's an infectious disease expert, can tell everybody and be given this unbelievable authority to basically make policy for the whole country. He could say, don't wear a mask. And all the people that didn't wear masks because of that, that's all forgiven and forgotten. But Trump says, I think this is going to go away. Don't worry about it that much. And he's a monster and a murderer. That's why this matters, because they have no standard that they're applying. Fauci is great. Trump is awful. Based on what? Based on orange man bad. 